Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. If, if I was to ask you to give me what you think the definitive rock guitar tone is and, and how you would get it, what guitar and what amp would you say is is like rock 101 guitar tone? So rock 101 guitar tone for me is, is a Les Paul plugged into a Marshall stack and and not not a lot in between, right? Just, Absolutely. just chuck everything on 11, stand back and, and go for it. Exactly that. That's a Clapton thing. Eric's work with John Mayall's Blues Breakers established the electric guitar as the sound of rock music. The sound of rock, that kind of screaming Les Paul yeah. Marshall thing. That's the genesis of it, is Eric, what Eric chose to do with a Les Paul yeah. and that Marshall amp. Greetings, welcome back to the Guitar Smarts Podcast. We are finally back after a long break over the new year. Kieran and I have hardly had the time to talk, but we're finally back in the swing of things. We've got lots of great things to bring you this year. We're kicking off 2024 by celebrating 60 years of Eric Clapton. Back in October 2023, Eric celebrated 60 years as a professional musician and artist, arguably one, if not the most celebrated and revered guitarist of all time. It's hard not to understand understate his contribution to the world of guitar playing and music making. Over on the Eric Clapton website, there was a fantastic article celebrating this milestone that included a long list of achievements and considerations that reinforce Eric's position as a living music and guitar legend. So this week, Kieran and I dissect that list and find ourselves rediscovering our admiration for Eric's contribution, not, not just to the world, but to our own lives as guitarists. The usual housekeeping, as always, remember to like and subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next show check out the link tree in the description that provides you with quick and easy links to our podcast page on spotify the backing track solo challenges we've recently produced and some excellent spotify playlists related to previous shows but if you click on one link only make it the guitar smarts guitar geek hangout page on facebook where you can get to know many other guitar nerds just like us you can also find a link there to our buy me a coffee page where you can donate to the show which is entirely self funded. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get to it. <sighs> <laughs> there he is. 
Anyway, we've got matching colours today. Not that anybody listening to this would would care, you know. But <laughs> we should really, uh, we should really kind of exchange notes around what we're wearing before we come onto the call. Yeah, we should. Well, apparently, we don't need to. <laughs> we don't need to. We're totally coordinated. <laughs> How are you keeping, mate? It's been a while, to say the least, hasn't it? It really has. It's been too long, my friend. Um, but yeah, I'm keeping really well. I've been busy with work, busy with gigging, busy with family, busy looking at all the latest guitar news and gear and just going into a into a rabbit hole of listening to music over over the kind of holiday season and yeah I'm really good mate I'm really good but I've missed our I've missed our, our, our weekly uh, chat how, how have you been yeah good mate I mean a hectic holiday season you know right and but also relaxing work mm-hmm. same for me has been you know really busy coming into the new year which is great and um <clears throat> you know not done any gigging over the over the period into you know a jam night I think before Christmas which was great fun um cool. no no gigs planned yet this year um uh, but yeah I mean do you know what I'm enjoying I'm enjoying just kind of um playing at home doing a bit of practice and and kind of not worrying about gigging and and just you know learning songs and things like that I really, I really want <laughs> you know I really want this year to be like a um for me, you know, just from a playing point of view and, and just to kind of fall in love again with, with practicing and improving and, yeah. and, uh, you know, just learning because learning's the best, uh, you know, you, just, you love that. You love yeah, learning. I, 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 <clears throat> I do love learning, yeah. but it's always under that blanket these days of, um, well, two things. <laughs> As, as a one, one, one very good and very cool, which is uh, learning new songs mm-hmm. for, for for the band that I'm with, and we've got a rehearsal on Sunday, and I think we've got about half a dozen new songs to bash through. Some of them really straightforward, and I kind of know already, which is easy, and then some which are just like, oh yeah, that's a lot of chords. <laughs> that's a lot of chords. Um, <laughs> So, but that's good because it's pushing me and it, but it gets, it gets more difficult as I get, as I get older. And we've done an episode on how best to learn, learn stuff. So, um, applying those principles. But then the other, the, the second element of it, um, which is not so much fun or as rewarding is trying to remember stuff that I knew I played a lot before. And it's gone from my brain. And it's like, how can it be gone from my brain? It was like a second language I was fluent in, that song. And it's there somewhere. But the more I try to remember it, the, the more it kind of evades me. And it's kind of like, yeah. I was doing that this, this, uh, this evening, uh, this evening, uh, yesterday evening with a, with a piece. I was just playing on, on my new acoustic, uh, as I often do these days of an evening. Uh, <laughs> beautiful as it is. Uh, shout out to JWJ for the most amazing guitar. And, um, there's a, there's an Eric Bibb piece that I, I, I had learned to death after I went and saw Eric Bibb, um, last year. Could I remember it? Not at all. But I, rather than looking it up or even listening to the track, I forced myself in a, in a fit of anger to just <laughs> rack my brains and somehow re refire those neurons and go, it's in there. You know, it's in there. Find it. You fool. <laughs> and, and, I just love the fact that you did it in a fit of anger. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was the final straw because, yeah. you know, it's just like, come on, I can't have forgotten that. That wasn't even that long ago. It's not like it's a piece that I'm trying to remember from when I was 16 years old and used to play at kind of parties and house parties and stuff like that, you know, yeah. extreme, extreme more than words or something like that. <laughs> God, I can imagine yeah. you. Uh, yeah, cheesy as hell, man. 
extreme uh, more than words at a party. I know why you're doing that. It's absolutely, yeah. it's so obvious why you would play that song I, at a party that it's unreal. I know. It was obvious to everyone else as well. <laughs> it was such a divisive song. <laughs> it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think I only ever learned like the, the, the kind of intro. That's all you really needed. <laughs> I was going to say you don't get much further than that. Yeah. <laughs> get past the first eight bars, didn't need to. Uh, so yeah, uh, so those are the two things about learning. But you love it. You love it, and you do it so well. And and I and I watch your social media clips of stuff as you and you dissect your learning and you. Kind kind of explain to people what you've been kind of trying to channel and push and it's there it's there for all to see and i'm, I'm so envious of that um neural plasticity that you have and that <laughs> hunger to to keep learning and building and assimilating stuff into your playing it is it, well it's inspiring mate well thank you I, I, I like doing it just for learning's sake because i enjoy the process of starting somewhere where you can that you you know, with a, in a position where you can't do something or you don't understand something, and then you get to a point where you can or you do understand. And that process is, I, I find, really enjoyable, you know. Mm. Um, I, I've always enjoyed, one of the reasons why, you know, in, in my day job, you know, I'm an engineer. It's one of the re- mm. same reason why engineering's always appealed to me because it's, it's going from, you're always going from a place of not understanding to understanding you know or, mm-hmm. or trying to solve a problem and then having it solved and mm. that that process you know anything really that is like that i guess that's why i like lawns as well maybe <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how you've managed to so early on in 2024 <laughs> segue what was a beautiful disciple-esque learning around no. guitar Not and turn it into a cutting lawn <laughs> well that's true okay that's two for, no, that, that, that's two for two done <laughs> straight away no go on no, no play no tell me how tell me tell me the parallel between between your mastery of the guitar and and your approach to lawn cutting no <laughs> 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 you're just doing it to wind me up. No, it, it's, it's just it's anything where you're trying to improve improve the outcome of something yeah. through the attainment of skills, knowledge, and information. Anything that is that I, is that you could kind of analogise to that process. I, I think I, I'll always find that enjoyable. I get it's you. a, it's I a get process you. I enjoy. You know, you get it. You get it. Um, dude, I totally get it. And and it kind of brings us neatly onto subject, I guess, for, for today's topic, because this individual is just a masterclass of, of that. Oh, well, absolutely, man. I mean, I mean, arguably, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would argue that, you know, this person isn't the the best guitarist of all time. We know that. There are better guitarists. I mean, people would say Jimi Hendrix or whoever. But I think you could argue that this person's the most important guitarist mm. of all time for for the things that they've achieved, that they've that they've done, that things that that, that you know they've impacted upon. Um and I think it's you know we're talking about Eric Clapton, of course, we are. aren't we? we right. Are. And the reason we're talking about Eric Clapton is um, uh, that it's now sixty years since his career started, his professional career, um, which is astonishing, really, um, to have a sixty-year career. Um, hmm. 
from you know it, it, it is absolutely astounding but there's a fantastic article that we're going to draw from in our conversation on um, the Eric Clapton website in the news article um, and I'll put a link to it in the description uh, of, so anyone listening to this if you do want to go and read along or look at some of the points and the comments and, and things in this news article mm-hmm. um it's it's really astounding to kind of to, to look at Eric's career uh, in this way because you know everyone knows about what he's been through in his life, um, but how often have uh, have we kind of really dissected you know his career as a guitarist and as a musician mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that kind of looks specifically at the impact he's had and and you know the the things that he's achieved. Um, and even me as a lifelong Eric Clapton fanboy, um, never really looked at it like this in a kind of a list, you know, of, of things that are important to remember about his career and important yeah. to remember about what he's contributed to, yeah. you know, rock and roll blues history. And, um, and it's fascinating. I don't know if you've had a chance to have a read to it yet, but, um, Do, yeah, I have deed. And you know what, <clears throat> when, um, when you sent me, uh, a message this week saying, Hey, how do, how do you feel about talking about Eric Clapton's 60 year, year long professional music career this week? It was, it, again, it was another example of how, um, in tune we were <laughs> without even having to speak because I have been in an Eric Clapton, um, whole of enjoyment enjoyment for the for the entire holiday period right there was loads of stuff that i'd been meaning to listen to re-listen to obviously mm. the 24 nights definitive edition came out last last year and um i went around to demo's house and, and watched some of that on on blu-ray and we spent a whole evening basically immersed in clapton stuff over christmas which was great that was great fun kind of discussing how he gets his tone and oh, the nuances yeah. of it and the musicians we had a whole clapton night you would have, you would have loved it mate <laughs> It was great, which then kind of prompted me afterwards to go back and watch more of some of the Definitive 24 Nights and my original DVD. Actually, somebody has uploaded some of it onto YouTube. Hope I'm not getting them into trouble, but it is it is there if you don't fancy spending 400 bucks on a, on a Blu-ray. Um, and then I started going back through all the Clapton back catalogue stuff. I read his autobiography a few years ago, mm. and, and that was just one of the best kind of autobiographies I've ever read. And yeah... Just, just kind of appreciating him again. I kind of dip in and out, and I know you're a huge Clapton fan. I, I don't know, man. I, I think arguably he might be the greatest guitarist of all time. If you, if you don't look at it through the lens of pure technicality and yeah. kind of like Vi-esque acrobatics on a guitar, when you, when you read that article that you sent me, which is just a beautiful summary of, of what is an incredible career, you kind of go, maybe he is the greatest guitarist of all time. It's just, it's, he's just someone I keep coming back to time and time again to rekindle my love of blues and guitar playing and you know when you watch somebody and it gives you that instant urge to pick up and play the guitar and Mm. kind of spend some time playing he's one of those cats for me that does that i mean i've said this before you know i can watch loads of guthrie videos and steve Vai videos and stuff and be blown away by how amazing they are but it doesn't make me want to go into my guitar room and pick up a guitar and try and emulate that stuff Mm. a because i can't and and b it kind of doesn't get to the core of what I love about guitar playing. I just appreciate it with, with awe and kind of um, respect. 
Yeah. But I kind of sit and watch Clapton playing and I'm just like, I, I just need to go and play now. Um, yeah, he's amazing. amazing. He, is un- he is unbelievable. And I think he's always up there in the lists, isn't he? When people do these, uh, what I think are really utterly pointless lists, essentially, um, for who's the greatest guitar player of all time. He's always up there, you know, in kind of the top 10. But I think that kind of misses the point of, you know, it's, it's a really kind of... Um, one-dimensional view of, of the whole point of, of of what he's done in his career, what anyone in those lists have done in their career, and actually, arguably, um, you know, he he's um, he's quite a, he's actually a bit of a plagiarist in a way. When you listen to his style, <laughs> and then yeah. you go back and listen to, and this took me a long time, you know, probably twenty years into being a a real yeah. fan of Clapton, maybe well, maybe less than that, but you know, you listen to his playing, you think, oh, I can spot his playing anywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I remember kind of going back and listening to Freddie King um, for the for the first time, really, like properly, and then listening to a lot of Freddie King stuff around that would have been around kind of around the time Clapton was coming up in his 60s uh, mm-hmm. career, you know, with Cream, and then listening to Freddie King and thinking, ah, there's so much Clapton in this. And then obviously going, oh, no, no, sorry, yeah, there's so much Freddie King in Clapton's <laughs> playing, you know. Um, but I'm not, not saying that, you know, he's a fraud and that he's just a derivative of somebody else's guitar playing. Aren't we all to some extent? Well, well right? yeah, but, but he, he certainly was, I think he's that he was the most important person to, to bring those guitar players to the forefront and to, you mm. know, to put people's ears on something that, you know, hadn't had, you know, the, the limelight it deserved, you know. Sorry to interrupt this conversation. However, if you're a regular listener, then do us a favour. Share us with your friends. Spread the word. Help us to grow. Remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's get back to the show. Some of the people that he stole from, in a way, and who he was influenced from, you know, Buddy Guy, B.B. King, Freddie King, all those guys, Otis Rush, all those people that he was influenced by, they had better careers after after Clapton. And I think Clapton really is one of, you know, he's probably the most important person of that kind of British blues explosion, that, that kind of thing that happened in the 60s, you know, with the Rolling Stones and the Yardbirds and Cream, yeah. where they yeah. became famous over in the US for basically playing US folk music for black, mm. you know, black music from, from mm. the 50s and 60s and earlier than that. Um, they made their own music popular to them. Mm. And he's mm. pretty much responsible for the, you know, those guitarists becoming having having a you know a longer career um mm-hmm. and obviously there's other guitarists as well that would have done that you know Keith Richards was a big proponent of yeah, those, yeah. those American guys but from from somebody who plays you know guitar and solos and 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 kind of sings with a guitar you know Clapton I think is the most important um and I think people forget that, you know, and he's done that throughout his career. There's some interesting points in this list um, about that. Um, one of the one of the one of my favourite points I think people forget about is if if I was to ask you to give me what you think the definitive rock guitar tone is and and how you would get it, what guitar and what amp would you say is is like rock one hundred one guitar tone? So rock one hundred one guitar tone for me is a, is a Les Paul plugged into a Marshall stack and and not not a lot in between, right? Just absolutely. Just- 
chuck everything on 11, stand back and, and go for it. Exactly that. Exactly that. And I, I, and, and I, you know, I forget that that's, that's a Clapton thing. Um, yeah. you know, so one of the points in this thing is, um, Eric's work with John Mayles Blues Breakers established the electric guitar as the sound of rock music. So mm. that's an interesting mm. point because before then, you know, it was really part of blues and pop in a way that it was a, an accompaniment, really, and right. maybe some melodic interest. But the sound of rock, that kind of screaming Les Paul yeah. Marshall thing, that's the genesis of it, is Eric, what Eric chose to do with a Les Paul yeah. and that Marshall app. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and yeah, where was I? Sorry. Yeah, so recorded when he was 21, still serves as the instruction manual for rock guitar, the thick tone, distinctive vibrato and sustain delivered with biting attack and raw emotion were revolutionary upon the album's release in 1966. So any one of us that, whatever whatever genre you're playing, any anybody who thinks that the best way to get a rock guitar tone is to, you know, <laughs> stick a Les Paul in a Marshall and crank it. You've got Clapton to thank for that, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and the thing uh, that I... There was so many... It's a short article, right? If you want to go deep into the backstory of Eric Clapton and how he came about, he's quite a mysterious character, I think. You know, there's, I think that's part of the the attraction as well. He's not, he's not like some celebrity that you just kind of know, feel you know everything about. And I'm a guitar player, even though I've read his author, Topography, and I'm just like, oh wow, I didn't know that, and I didn't know that. And um, even reading this article, I still, you know, uh, he's quite quite modest in, in his portrayal of himself. But really? um, I mean, there's there's a, a bit in this article which talks about the fact that Jim Marshall said that he was responsible. Clapton was responsible for the uh, first combo. Uh, yeah, app. I was just like, ah, oh, I didn't realize that. And and Clapton had said to to Jim Marshall, well, I'm playing this Marshall's stack and all of that, but I need something I can chuck in the back of my car and still play at stage volume. Exactly. How are we going to do that? So they made a combo. I don't know. I haven't fact-checked all of this, and but I love that if that's true because <laughs> we all play through combo amps. Right? I mean, exactly. I didn't know that either. It's an incredible, incredible point. Again, you know, I really had no idea that that, that was... That was something. I mean, what, what, so the article says on that, um, Jim Marshall has said, Eric, um, Eric is primarily responsible for the combo amplifier being added to the product line in the mid sixties. Eric asked to have one built that would fit in the boot of his car, but be powerful enough for stage use. The model was later nicknamed the blues breaker in the nod to his contribution. I mean, I thought he just got the, the JTM 45 combo and, and that yeah. was what he used. I didn't realize that he'd asked for it to be a combo just for the sake of convenience. Amazing. Um, and actually, interestingly, talking about Marshall Amps, I, I saw recently, he did an interview fairly recently with Martin Guitars because he got um, <clears throat> a couple of Martin Guitars for the Crossroads Festival they did last year. Yeah. Um, okay. And he was talking about his sound in the 60s with Cream. Mm. Um, I think he was talking about his hearing loss. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'd all have hearing loss if his if his rig was what we used these days to get his his tone. He said he basically had two hundred watt super lead stacks or JTM forty five stacks. A super lead probably yeah. wouldn't have been out then. Um, but he said, like for the Royal Albert Hall, the way he got his lead tone and his rhythm tone is that he would have two, both of them cranked, and he would have one of them on 
for rhythm and he'd switched the second one in for for lead. So his lead was just adding the extra amp. So two cranked Marshall JTM 45, you know, 100 watt heads. Yeah. (laughs) Just imagine that now in a bar. Imagine having two of your amps, but the only way you can get your amp to sing like that is to have it cranked, no master volume. Yeah. And then for your lead tone, you have another one. I mean, you don't. It would sound amazing. It would sound amazing. amazing. (laughs) I really want to do that. (laughs) There's um, there's some videos uh, on YouTube at the moment of a couple of guitarists that I follow and they're, um, they're almost like my slight antidote to the, to the, to the Helix uh, brigade of which you are one and everyone else around me, it would seem. Um, and they are cool actually, I must say. Yeah. But these, these viral YouTube videos are are of these younger guitarists coming up and they're kind of, um, playing through some of the classic old valve amps like the basement and the, the kind of big fender kind of deluxe amps and stuff. Yeah. They're like, the only way to get this kind of sound is to just crank them up. So it's, it's yeah. almost comedic. They've got the, they've got the amp in one room and then they're like on the other side of their house playing guitar because clearly it's too loud to be in the same room as them. But yeah. God knows they must have great soundproofing for their neighbors, but it's literally like, it would be like you just going and putting your amp in the lounge and then going going to your guitar room and playing in there, but your amp is so loud that it's just going through the entire house. But the sound of it, crank, is just yeah, yeah. a thing of beauty, which clearly Clapton Clapton discovered early on. Yeah. It's like sounds amazing. Oh, it really does, doesn't it? I mean I mean I've got to say, even though I'm a Helix user, um, and I and I do love it, obviously, you know me, I'm a big proponent for digital stuff, but my the, the tone I have, the my main kind of tone is a cranked plexi. You know, I, oh. I have everything in the settings on it absolutely dimed, you know, the tone stack on it, the master volume on it, everything. And I get my clean sound, my snapshots on it as selecting different yeah. levels of input gain to simulate nice. my volume being turned <laughs> being on. Being driven harder and harder. Yeah, nice. so it's, it's like like a, it's the amp's still cranked, but the clean sound that I get from it is because I turn the automatically turn the gain down on the input to, yeah. as if I'm turning the volume down on the guitar and it sounds fantastic. Um, I bet, I bet it does. Because yeah. even now, if I, if I was to kind of go back to a normal amp now, I, I might only have, I might stick a delay and an effects loop and that's it. I think I'd go back to having an amp that I could get a lead, ta- lead tone out of um, and have it like that and then just use the volume control or a volume pedal to get mm. all my clean sounds and things. Just such a great thing to hear an amp kind of singing, you know, at its full volume, but we'll never get that. Not not in our gigs, mate. But I know, that's the problem. <laughs> I wear I, I wear earplugs these days now yeah. as well. So I'm kind of, I do my quick sound check and make sure it sounds all right. And I go, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then I stuck a, a chuck a set of 19 decibel reducing earplugs in my ears and go, yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> can't hear it sounding amazing anymore. <laughs> all the, uh, all the high end's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the high end's gone. I can kind of hear my guitar through the mix enough for me to be able to play the songs. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a different story. But um, yeah. So so here's here's another great point, um, which, which, which is important to mention. We don't talk about this style of guitar playing. Um, although best known for his pioneering electric guitar work, Eric's acoustic slide guitar and dobro skills are equally impressive. Are. Check out Mean Old World with Dwayne Allman from Crossroads, Motherless Children from 461 Ocean Boulevard, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out from Unplugged, mm. Stones in My Passway and Love in Vain from Sessions for Robert J, and Running on Faith from Journeyman, for examples. 
of these styles. Yeah, he's a fantastic slide guitarist as well. Doesn't do it enough. I, yeah, I, I I was reminded of this watching some of the my back catalogue of Clapton concerts and things. Just mm. watching his slide playing, I was like, exactly that. Why don't we talk about his slide playing enough? I mean, that's a discipline in itself. But if you think about the artists, like you know, um, Brunzi and Robert Johnson and, mm-hmm. and these kind of guys that are Clapton's like big driving force and inspiration. You know, that old Delta blues style, which had a lot of dobro playing, kind of um, national steel guitar playing, and the slide kind of accompaniment to it as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that's the sound that he. That's right. Loving. All right. We talk about his sound that's inspiring us and the pioneering qualities of his tone and how he got it. But back in the day Mm. when he was, you know, living in England and playing his playing in Ripley Village where he grew up, he was playing on an acoustic with a slide trying to. Well, there you go. Trying to do all of that. Stick um, from the cradle on. And what's the first thing you hear? You know, (laughs) that is the greatest (laughs) intro ever, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, yeah. it's visceral. It's visceral. Blues before sunrise, and it's just sunrise. Oh. And it's absolutely, yeah, visceral. It's amazing. That's one of the best openings to any album uh, ever. Yeah. There's a few um, songs on that album where he's yeah. playing slide, and it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. That album, I'm yeah. going to listen to that album this afternoon, I think. Um, from front to back as well, I'm going to listen to it. What a great yeah. album. Um, yeah. yeah, slide guitar. Don't sleep on Clapton's slide guitar playing. Um, here's another interesting one. Just to, I want to talk about a couple of points they made, of you know, accolades he's had. Uh, and in 1993, Eric won six Grammy Awards, including Record, Album, Song of the Year. Over the course of his career, he has won or shared in 19 Grammy Awards. There's not many people who are up there at that level. I mean, Beyonce, I think, for sure. And, you know, Adele's getting up there now. But 19 Grammy Awards puts him in, like, I think, the top five um, winners of wow. Grammys ever. You know, Clapton. Um, uh, he, I, don't, I, don't, I don't rate Beyonce's guitar playing at all, though. <laughs> Um, she, you know, those Grammys were just ah. a farce. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh dear! I'm oh, joking. that's so good. Um, so he, he's won up hey, in 19 Grammy Awards, plus picked up a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award for his work with Cream. Four recordings have been honoured with Grammy Hall of Fame awards. Layla, um, I Shot the Sheriff in the rock single category. Cream's Disraeli Gears and Derek and the Dominoes. Layla and other sorted love songs in the rock album category. Um, I mean, it says it all really to have that many um, recognitions from, you know, the Grammy Awards. Says it all. Well, it had in here the number of, um, I'm going to try and find it now. Again, I know we're just reeling off stats, but I, I just found these like incredibly, as you said, incredibly impactful just to see this like as a, as a list of, of things that somebody's accomplished in their lifetime. And si- this is a 60 year playing career. It talked about how many gold and uh, platinum records as well that he yeah. achieved in his lifetime, which I was like, that an insane amount. I'm trying to find it now. I think I'm it's something at the top. To. Yeah. Uh, how many did it say? All right. Oh, yeah, here we go. 103 gold, platinum, and multi-platinum, and diamond sales awards. That's ridiculous. That, that is ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. Because when you when you watch like MTV Cribs, even if that show exists anymore, I'm sure it doesn't, but <laughs> the, probably the, the key demographic of people that listen to our wonderful <laughs> podcast will remember MTV Cribs. And, you know, you go into these kind of artists' houses and they've got like their obligatory wall, haven't they? <clears throat> Somewhere in the house, probably yeah. on, a, on a corridor or something. 
somewhere uh like and oh here's here's my six you know gold platinum awards and that paid for this house and that and that lamborghini etc could you imagine if he put up 103 platinum albums in in like a, a gold albums in a frame you'd need an entire flipping village hall yeah i was gonna to say you'd need, need a warehouse or something <laughs> wouldn't you to be fair they're probably all in a box they shed you know but, um, uh it is a stat 103 Gold, platinum, multi-platinum, diamond sales awards. Um, his UK and Worldwide Music Awards are equally impressive. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. You're forgetting those 103 are from the Recording Industry Association of America only. That doesn't include wow um, the other worldwide or UK associations that are equally as impressive. <laughs> so when not- you read that part, it's a bit mind mind boggling. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's not. That's not. <laughs> you can just kind of just go, yeah, I make records, and everyone buys them. <laughs> like yeah. everyone everyone must have one absolutely i mean yeah. everyone yeah i mean imagine unplugged is you know i think that is his most successful album um and i'm sure a huge amount of people have got that album another great album um yeah but i mean what a, what an amazing career uh, this this is one that, that I, th- I found interesting um unable to read music eric memorized a 30 plus minute concerto for electric guitar and orchestra and edge of darkness then performed them with a symphony orchestra at the royal albert hall in 1990-91 along with a selection of his biggest hits I didn't realise that that Twenty Four Nights thing. Obviously, we, we we've heard some of the tracks he did with the orchestra yeah. part of yeah. that. You know, like he did uh, Bell Bottom Blues, Hard yeah. Times, and he did Edge, yeah. Edge of Darkness and stuff. And they're just kind of yeah. the tracks accompanied with symphony. I thought back then that was what that night was about. It was kind of like I want to play my gig, but I want a symphony behind me. I didn't mm-hmm. realise such a huge part of it was actually a symphony performance that he put himself into as well which is incredible I've never heard anything like that until more recently when Hans Zimmer's gone on tour with doing a lot of film music with a lot of live musicians like you know Guthrie Govan and people like that so I I feel like I've missed out on hearing stuff that he's done I'd I'd love to Is, is there anything in that new 24 Nights thing that shows more of the symphony performances I, I, yeah, there's a whole. I mean, well, if you if you buy the, I think <clears throat> again, some somebody in our in our guitar uh, geek hangout will will correct me. But when you buy the definitive definitive edition, either on CD or vinyl, you get like four Blu-rays. Each each Blu-ray is a separate um, uh, collection of the Rock Night, all of the performances from the Rock shows, all the performances from the Blue shows, and the whole orchestral thing. So you could you can watch an entire kind of I guess hour and a half two hours worth of all the orche- best of the orchestral night put together but it is an entire it's an entire orchestral performance of his his collection of songs yeah. and it's the the way you kind of watch it it kind of makes you realize that he is right he's standing right next to Michael Kamen as and as the kind of um front person to this orchestra and it's the it's the only time that you see him what i would say slightly nervous or um with it with a level of focus right. on his face right so i watch lots of the rock stuff and lots of the blue stuff and he's clearly in his element right he's at the prime of his career he's he knows what he's doing right he's already played the album a bazillion times by this point anyway but when he gets the orchestral nights you can see the sense of gravitas and occasion that that accompanies it it's 
everyone's dressed up in tuxedos. Everyone, you know, well, there's, there's kind of clearly an entire Philharmonic orchestra there on stage mm. and you see Clapton come out and you just see the look on his face and he kind of nods at the conductor and he nods at the orchestra and you can just see the level of focus. And, and honestly, mate, watch, watch his performance of Edge of Darkness, which is a fairly repetitive hook, right? Yeah. Yeah. But his focus and his concentration and his like discipline to make every rendition of that Edge of Darkness riff hook melody mm. sing at every single point throughout that seven minutes or however long it is is just incredible. Mm. I, you know, I, I know my concentration is not that great when I, if I was doing it, I'd be thinking about what I was having for dinner or <laughs> where I was going on holiday and kind of go into autopilot. But he he is so intensely focused on that and, and the whole of that orchestral thing is, is, is like that. You can see that's the first time I've ever watched a Clapton concert where I've enjoyed it but I've been I've been with him in that moment going don't mess up don't mess up <laughs> yeah, it's Completely, pure yeah. pure focus pure focus wow well, I, I need to watch that I love that track Edge of Darkness and, and actually you that repetitive refrain you know that you, you mentioned that sounds so simple and yet seems to me to be so deceptively difficult to play mm. because of the bends and where he's playing it to get that particularly kind of snappy strapped on right. that, that he has because you can play it quite easily higher up in like that 12 position mm. pentatonic scale but then you're mm. doing the bends on the G string and mm. you kind of get that thicker sound that you do he's playing it on the B string, like that seventh fret position. And it's yeah. a little bit more tricky because he's doing some very, very, you know, he's doing microtonal bends, you know, um, and it's almost like a modal thing. But mm-hmm. it sounds so simple, but it is actually, you've got to really work hard to get the intonation right on those bends. Almost every note okay. he's playing is bent, isn't it? Correct. And, and, it's, <clears throat> and it's so hard to make it sound right because everything microtonal, you know, where it kind of mm-hmm. moves up to the note. If you're bending too fast, you miss the point of the melody, I think. And yet, yes. you know, I've tried playing that so many times. I always have to sit and work really hard on getting it right. But it seems... I always see it seems to come so naturally to Clapton to play in this kind of lyrical way, like a singer mm-hmm. would sing something, mm-hmm. and yet it still yeah. sounds like only something you could only do on a guitar. Um, yeah. And yeah. for all his skills and chops as a guitarist, you know, over the years, you know, when you listen to albums like From the Cradle and 24 Nights, when his chops were quite good then for a guitarist, you know, he was able to do. Uh, you know, a lot of quick stuff and and um and some interesting parts to his improvisations and things. Um, you know, he's he's always at his best when he's doing something for me that seems kind of like 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 he's trying to replicate like like Derek Trucks does. You know, like he's trying to sound like a singer rather than a guitarist. It's almost impossible to replicate. Um, that's why it moves me. That's that's the kind yeah. of thing that 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 get get gets me to want to pick up the guitar. But um, sorry to your question. Yeah, that you get a real sense in those uh, with with that the orchestra night that well the, the arrangement. You just have to listen to the arrangements. It's all different. Right? It's not just him doing his normal stuff with Nathan East and, and Greg, and then mm. the the orchestra have kind of fitted in around it. Not at all. It's all been arranged as a- ensemble pieces with the orchestra, yeah. and you listen to it and you go, okay. Wow, he's he's not just playing; he's listening and interjecting and playing off of the orchestra, and they are, and and vice versa with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, it, that must have taken some doing on on all of their parts to, to to get that to to gel sure. in that way. But but he, I think he'd already worked with Michael Kamen right on that um, Edge of Darkness TV series uh, to come yeah, up with that. Yeah, so and Lethal they, they Weapon as well, I think. Yeah, right. I think because <clears throat> Clapton, David Sanborn, and Michael Kamen, I think, were the composers for the Lethal Weapon mm. Um, mm. soundtracks. Um, which which I've got to say, when you listen to <laughs> Clapton's contribution, you're like. <laughs> Are you a composer on this, or did they just say, "Can you come and riff on this stuff for a day"? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. Exactly. What is, exactly. What is this this uh, saxophone and orchestral piece needs is, is some licks every so often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you did on Edge of Darkness? Could you just kind of do that on here? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, it is good, man. But, I mean, uh, yeah, mate, it made, it made those films for me completely. I mean, I love those films growing up anyway. And um, I loved those films before I loved Clapton um, yeah. because I wasn't into guitar at that point. And it was only then latterly going back and watching those films as a teenager, having got into Clapton and guitar and then gone, and then the penny had dropped. It was like, oh, that's why I love the music on these. Even before I knew what guitar playing in Clapton was, it's just like, this is Clapton, isn't it? Gotta be. And then I went and realised, I was like, yeah, that was Clapton. Yeah. I always love the music on those films. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like mid eighties as well. I mean, I've got to say, yeah. for all the for all the like blues stuff and early rock stuff, and you know what he did, what he did with Cream basically, you know, um, was the genesis of. Uh, you know what he did with Blues Breakers was the genesis of, of rock guitar. We spoke about that earlier on rock guitar tone as we know it. But what he did with Cream was the genesis of heavy metal, and he's never mm. done anything heavy metal in yeah. that genre. But you know he re- that what they did as a, as that three piece you know is really the first kind of sound that kind of sprouting of of, of the heavy metal genre and all those mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. bands that you can think of through history through the 70s and 80s black sabbaths and people like that you know they've really got again that band cream to thank for laying the foundation of the genre that they went on to grow mm. um and actually, when you do listen to some cream tracks and you listen to the to the riffs and the timings and things like that and the lyrics, you think, yeah, that that is that is heavy metal born in that moment, isn't it? And and uh, you don't ever think of Clapton as a heavy metal guitarist, but back then, you know, he was doing something that went on to kind of inspire that whole scene again which is mind-boggling to me um the people he's inspired over time as, as somebody who picked up the guitar and wanted to do the blues and has done lots of things in his career the people he's inspired i mean you know um one of the one of the last points is is um you know eric has inspired people to learn to play guitar david crosby once said the beatles made every young boy want to go out and buy a, a guitar but eric clapton made them all want to learn how to play it and many of them so skills by yeah absolutely i mean that, that is such a good point um many of them their skills by playing along to his records including richie sambora we don't we can't really thank clapton for that can we no, but <laughs> Oh, I love a bit of Sambora. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that one, that one solo he plays on all his songs is, is fantastic. Um, John Mayer, and then even in 2014, Ed Sheeran said that Eric inspired him to learn guitar after watching him perform at Queen Elizabeth II's 2002 Jubilee. So even going up to now, you know, Ed Sheeran is arguably the Still world's inspiring. biggest star at the moment. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's 
so he's streamed more than anybody on Spotify. He's probably the biggest pop star there is right now, and and he credits Eric Clapton with being his influence. I mean, that mind-boggling to me that somebody who started a career in 1963 as an 18-year-old yeah. could still be cited as the main inspiration for the current world's biggest yeah. star, you know, 60 years later. And if that yeah, isn't kind of an indication for him being as I said at the start, the most important guitarist. Not the best, yeah. but the most important. Yeah. You know, maybe that is, but I mean, what a career. Just uh, there was a there's a performance, um, actually that reminds me, we're kind of coming full circle. Um, there's a performance of Ed Sheeran with Beyonce and Gary Clark Jr. Uh, that was at some awards due, um, paying tribute to Stevie Wonder. I think I've just dropped all of the names there in one sentence. But it's um, it's a great, great performance. Actually, Beyonce is on fire. Mm. And um, <clears throat> Ed Sheeran comes out, and he's playing a Clapton uh, strap. Um, oh, is he really? Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's a Clapton Strat. It's what, it's a, it's a, it's kind of, I'm sure it's got like the kind of artwork from. Oh, is it one of the Crash, uh, one of the Crash guitars? Yeah, 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 with the, with the, with, with the kind of yeah. fancy abstract artwork on yeah. it. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, he's playing a Clap, yeah, that's a Clapton Strat, isn't it? And that made me go, oh, fair play. Uh, fair play, Ed. Um, indeed yeah that is cool yeah man he just keeps inspiring generations and generations which is which is very cool um why do you think that um, is though i mean is it is it because of of the period of time that he that he came from i mean do you think it's possible to do that now do you think there'll be another clapton mm, good that's a deep question man that's a deep question mm. um I mean, you could look at it academically. Why is that? Why is it right? So part of it is is what you rightly said in terms of that's a sixty long, sixty year long music career, mm-hmm. clearly spanning decades, but multiple genres. And as we've often said, he was doing these things first, right? So there's so that feeds into the uh, enigma and mythology of it all, right? It's like who yeah. was doing this originally, even though he'll cite his <clears throat> own influences and people that he learned off and cribbed off. Many of us. Were go well no he was the first person to to kind of do rock 101 and plug that les paul into a marshall and make make everyone's face melt in that way so there's always that kind of mythology around it which people irrespective of which generation you sit into will want to trace back and go well who did this first who did that he's still alive and touring and the good torch is being handed down from generation to generation on okay you're into guitar music are you well listen to this guy he's he's the one that that did it all so they'll always they'll always be that um he's he's not one of those like kind of it kind of reminds me of this story that my friend told me my, my friend is a is, is um not a huge muso um in fact he's into kind of electronic dance music but professionally he's a he's a town and country planning um officer and um he went to this house one day big big place and um kind of uh rang on the doorbell because he had an appointment there to kind of do some consultation on some sort of building works and grounds works that were, were happening on this estate so he knocked he knocked on the door and and kind of went in through the gates and all of that and was greeted by this nice nice old guy and he said oh yeah 
um, you're here to, to do that. Okay, yeah, no problem. If you go down and see this guy down down in the, the down the other side of the estate, he'll he'll meet up with you and, and tell you what 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 we're looking to have done, etc. <clears throat> so he did that. He did his appointment and he left. He left the he left the uh, the uh, the grounds and he was driving back home and he was just like, I'm I'm sure I've worked for that guy before. I've done some work for that guy somewhere. I can't remember going to that that, that estate before, but I definitely I, I must have done some work for him before because I know him. I I, I know him. He's so familiar <laughs> and then he drove on for a few more minutes and then the penny finally dropped and he realized it was eric clapton and he'd been on eric clapton's estate and he called me up and he goes you never just guess where i've just been and he told me this story and i was like jesus come on man and he said how did it take you so long and then i kind of thought about it i went well because that is who clapton is he's fairly unassuming to most people and, yeah. he's, and he's not he's not this kind of celebrity that you see splashed around all the media all the time he just kind of keeps mm. himself to himself but what transcends all of that is he makes these records that just stand the test of time i mean that that opening intro riff to layla is forever embedded in the annals of rock history as one of the greatest guitar licks ever right oh, it's man. you can't take that away from anyone um not in the slightest but also so, yeah I, I, you know and that riff almost overshadows a, a really wonderfully well-written song you know yeah. when you think about you know the what what that song is about and how it's sung you know in in the with the emotion it has and you know knowing also historically that it was written about something he really really was happening to him it was about a situation that was was true to him in, in his life at the time um yeah takes on a whole new meaning and then uh, and rick beato did a video about layla recently um and he said not you know you don't hear songs with coders anymore you know as in like an ending section that's different to the rest of yeah. the song you know very few songs have have coders you know like stairway to heaven has one and bohemian right, right. rhapsody has one and you right. know layla has one and that whole section where it changes from you know the d minor to the that c mm-hmm. major thing rick beato was explaining some of the chord changes in it and, and and he's saying why this is actually really beautifully written and really complex um and not just a simple c major thing and i just i've you know after loving that song for so long um i've grown this new appreciation for it um because you know he him and and the derrick of the dominoes and Dwayne Norman really wrote just one of the finest rock songs of all oh, time for, for you sure. know beautifully produced amazing guitar work fantastic fantastically well written unbelievably emotional from a subject matter point of view you know uh, and then just that ending section is you know i could listen to that all day long no no problem at all i would not get tired of that um and then then he goes and recreates it in the 90s in in, in unplugged with just, oh. just like let's just do a little swing version of it and then it's just like reborn and unbelievable you know well so your question <clears throat> will will there be will there be more like him i mean we've discussed this before in other podcasts won't they is is the guitar hero dead is 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 are we seeing the last of the of the great guitar heroes <clears throat> like obviously obviously not because when you look at the talent coming up 
and you see some of these new stars that are coming through. Guitar is clearly alive and kicking. And what some of these modern players can do is unbelievable. I mean, the access to to teaching kind of resources that they have and the discipline and the equipment that they have access to and the digital processing, but moreover, the graph that they've put into honing their skills and playing all this stuff. I mean, you see it and it's just like, wow, clearly there will be incredible guitarists for decades to come, but... Will does that make for a guitar hero? I don't. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. because wrapped up into it is the pioneering elements of it, the timeless songs that transcend generation. That, and that's not the same thing as uploading a, a two-minute video on TikTok of you playing really fast. Mm-hmm. That's that's something else, right? That's that's it creative is, yeah. genius. And then I know it sounds slightly slightly sad, and I do definitely not endorse uh, this lifestyle. But there's this whole thing around. I Keith Richards and Clapton and these kind of guitar heroes slash that just can't be killed by conventional methods. Like they, 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 they lived, they lived through some stuff, man. They should have died like a billion times. I mean, I, I don't know whether this is urban legend or not, but and so or whether it's true. And some somebody will fact check us. But I, I heard this story that Clapton used to keep all of his crashed Ferraris that he'd written off as a reminder to him of all the times that he nearly died because he. <laughs> was like coked out of his eyeballs driving yeah. around on Ferrari in Ferraris and just totaling them. You know? There's a great story in his autobiography where he talks about crashing his first Ferrari <laughs> and he, on his way to George Harrison's house and he said and he said um he just left the scene for he said for, yeah. for a couple of reasons while he was drunk and two he didn't have his driver's <laughs> license yet. Can you imagine having a Ferrari before you get your license? You know, he did not even Amazing. passed his test yet. And he was he was Amazing. rich enough and famous enough at nineteen years old to go out and get Ferraris and things already and (laughs) just I mean just just hilarious um what a yeah you're right what a life is I mean if you read his autobiography you realize how you know the excess um that you know he kind of went through like you say you know Keith Richards and Slash and those guys you know they've you can't be killed by conventional means it seems you know uh, but I mean Clapton talks in his autobiography about once doing a concert in America where he was so out of it that he couldn't stand so he yeah. he lied he, he laid the microphone stand down on the floor <laughs> and just lied on the floor and he did the gig lying down I love um, that I mean <laughs> I love that. I mean it's just that I don't endorse it but I just love no, that don't endorse it so, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it I mean, is. Kids, don't, don't do drugs, but, you know. No, exactly. <laughs> I've got to say as well, by the way, because, I, I mean, I've always loved, you know, um, 80s music. I love 80s music. Yeah. You know, all that stuff yeah, we talked too. about, Toto and people like that. You know, or anything yeah. that's that kind of 80s hair metal and rock, or anything that just sounds 80s to me. You know, Madonna, all that. So it's, it's just great music. And I, I really love some of the stuff he did in the 80s. Yeah, you know, like uh, the August album for me is one of my. I mean, it's one of my the most eighty sounding thing ever. I love that album. Oh, uh, what holy Mo- is that? Is Holy Mother on that album? Holy Mother, yeah, Holy Mother's on oh, that. Yeah, there's so many great tracks on that. That's a tune. I mean, it starts yeah. with also it's in the way that you use it, which is which was the theme song to uh, a Tom Cruise film. I can't remember which Tom Cruise film, Color of Money, oh. I think it was the one oh, that okay. the pool Perfect. hustling thing with yeah, Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah. Paul yeah. Newman. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that album so much that's such a great album um but yeah i mean what a career what a career i mean i don't think we'll ever see anyone have the impact that he's had 
Uh, we're mm. talking about him as if this is his obituary. I mean, you know, he could have another 20 years of a career in front of him still yet, you know, if he if he lives quite a long time, you know, if he is indestructible, then... Well, I went I went and saw him in, I think he is, I, I went and saw him in his 70th birthday year yeah. uh, Royal Abbott Hall performance with um, with Damo, and we went and we got we got that memory. <clears throat> and and I remember reading the um, the uh, brochure, it's not called a brochure, I forget what it's Program. Called, right, but the, thank you, the program for for the um for the evening and it was like this is his farewell thing this is the last time he's 70 years old now this is it royal albert hall incidentally of which he's played 218 times that was another stat that is ridiculous isn't it 218 times at the royal albert hall um yeah that was like his farewell thing and and here we are and he's in his 80s now and he's still playing there and i'm like i feel slightly cheated because i felt that i'd seen his farewell (laughs) kind of run at the albert hall but yeah. yeah, exactly. That. But saying that, I feel like I felt cheated a lot longer before you did because he said he was he was quitting uh, in two thousand and one. I saw him in Manchester with my dad in two thousand and one, and it was the tour he did for. Um, what was the name of the album? It was the tour that, that he released a live album of the tour called One More Car, One More Rider. Um, yes, yes. remember that live yeah. album? And it was Reptile. I do, it's it great. It was a Reptile yeah. album tour that he did. He did a world tour and it was fantastic because he had um, Billy Preston on keys for the US part and mm-hmm. he had these... Um, he had these three soul guys that would come out and do backing vocals that recorded on the album. I can't remember what they're called. My dad will be listening to this now, screaming at me. You know? <laughs> um, but but he said in the program of that, I'm probably this is probably going to be it for me, you know, because I'm like 2001. He would have been 56, I think. Okay, he was born yeah. in 45. So um, yeah, so he, he was saying he was saying how he just met Amelia. He's then and still current wife and that he that he was going to call it a day after that tour and then like a few years later he started the Crossroads Festival and then he did like two Crossroads Festivals and that'll be it for Crossroads Festivals he's done about 74 yeah. of them now I mean, <laughs> <laughs> And I've loved every one of them. Yeah, hey, they're, they're, gr- they're great platforms as well for, for turning me on to new new musicians and new guitarists and, and seminal performances of artists that I've watched at those Crossroad festivals. Uh, unfortunately, all on TV, not not having been there in person. But yeah, yeah there's some great cross- Crossroads gigs that have been and he's been And he's touring this year. I mean, he's got, what, yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, <clears throat> seven, eight. He's got about 15, 16 dates around the world this year, yeah. ranging from he's the He's doing UK. the Albert Hall again. He's doing yeah. the Albert Hall again. He's yeah. doing Paris, Lyon, Nimes, um, Curitiba. I don't know where Curitiba is. I think it's just outside, you know, um, Chingford or you know, something like that. <laughs> Rio de Janeiro, <laughs> Sao Paulo. Um, he's all over the place. And actually, I've got to say, I think the Manchester gig he's got on the 18th of May this year is at a venue called the Co-op Live, which is a new Manchester arena. And I think oh. he's the first gig, and That's which is cool. kind of, again, when you think about, you think about who's out there, you know, a Manchester arena right in the city centre, mm. the new venue. Mm. Um, and you think, who would you get to, to open that to do it? To, and, and it's Clapton, you know. The greatest guitarist I mean, of all time. Yeah, Who's yeah. the greatest guitarist of all time? I, I, still I could be Clapton. wrong. Maybe they've booked somebody before him. I'm pretty certain he's one of the first people to be playing that new venue. Um, but long may it continue, you know. Long, I, I, I've heard he's playing recently. I've got to say, you can tell, you know, it's a bit like when BB King got old, you know, and you'd listen to his playing. <clears throat> 
maybe he's, he's you know he's lost half a yard as you'd say about a footballer you know who's <laughs> retiring you can definitely hear I think you can definitely hear time's taken some toll in his playing but all the passion and emotion's still there especially in his singing as well you know oh his singing again we haven't even talked about that <clears throat> um, what a voice well, I was watching it the other day and he stands so far away from the microphone it must be a, a sound engineer's nightmare but but his voice just he's got so much control and power in it yeah uh, I think that, you know, I think that's something he talked about in his um, autobiography. I think it was Live Aid. He did Live Aid, didn't he, in Philadelphia? Um, and one of the he did Layla. Uh, Phil Collins played drums with him because um, mm. that's what. Because you remember, Phil Collins was famous for playing at Live Aid in the UK, and then he got the Concord over to the US and played at Live Aid in the US as well <laughs> on the same day. That's, that's he was the only so person to have played both Live Aids on the same day in two different continents. And, and, he, cool. and he was Clapton he went to play with uh, in nice. the US. But I think you mentioned Clapton standing back from the microphone. He talked in his autobiography yeah. about the first song they did was, I think, She's There, uh, which is mm. a song from his Behind the Sun album at the time, which was out during Live Aid. And he put his mouth on the mic and he got a shock. He got like that classic you know, pub band thing that we've all been through yeah. of getting an electric yeah. shot from the microphone. Um, he got a big bolt off, off the microphone at the live aid off the first song. And I think that's why he's always now stood back oh. from the mic. It's because <laughs> traumatized from getting an electric well, yeah, that'll shot do it. The <laughs> that'll do it. It will do it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, what an amazing singer, absolutely fantastic blues singer. Um, one of my favourite vocal performances of his was, do you remember in the 90s he did a concert at Hyde Park? Um, yeah, I was there. Were you there for that concert at Hyde Park? Yeah, yeah. weren't you? You were there as well, weren't you? Not in the 90s. I was there. Oh, sorry, in the 90s. Oh. When he did 2008. And oh, no, no, I was at that one. Were at that. Yeah, I was yeah, there. yeah, that's the one I was at. Um, sorry, I missed the bit where you said the 90s. Yeah, no, sorry, okay. it, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, it was in the mid ninety six, I think. Um, which was it was the tour I saw him. I saw him in Manchester for that for the tour the year before, I think, um, that he was doing. And then he did the Hyde Park. It was like British Summertime Hyde Park or something. And mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette was the act before him. She was right. huge. Just off coming off the back of Jagged Little Pill, um, mm-hmm. and he headlined Good it album. and. Um, like he he like he thanked the crowd at one point. He said, "Thanks for showing up," you know. And he said in his autobiography afterwards, actually, he said uh, that was one of the gigs that made him realise he still had an audience. He didn't really think mm-hmm. anyone liked him anymore. He didn't think people were going to show up. But he does a he does a version of Five Long Years from from the Cradle mm-hmm. in in that gig, and his singing in it is unbelievable. Like. So he, he can see he's angry, you know, he's like, he's taking the character of the person singing on board. He, yeah. Do you know the lyrics to Five Long Years? You know, it's about oh, angry, I do. you know, <laughs> pissed off man, <laughs> right? Who's, who's, you know, really, he's, he's, you know, he's a really angry bloke. And by the end of the song, you think, did you write this? Is this about you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's, he's so angry at the end of it. He does this thing at the end of the song, you know, where he kind of, the band does these stops. She had the nerve. She had, she the, had nerve. the nerve. She had the nerve. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear, you see him do it, and he's got—he's like his whole face visceral. scrunched up, and he's yeah, he's so visceral. Uh, it's just like it makes my you know 
puts goosebumps on my goosebumps. You know? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ma- I'm gonna mangle this. But there's a line in there somewhere where he talks about next time he gets married, he's gonna send her out. That's and She's it. gonna work and bring, her, bring home the dough. Make her work and bring home the dough. That's the lyric, isn't it? Finally, le- was it? Finally learned my lesson. Should a long time ago. Next time I get That's married, it. gonna make her work and bring home the dough. It's such a great. I mean, it's. I mean, it's entirely, entirely misogynistic yeah. and has no relevance in 2024. Um, yeah. But there's just visceral old school blues lyrics in there about being mistreated, and yeah, yeah that's, that's a great song. Yeah. That's a great. So song. Gonna, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to go and listen to that. <laughs> I think I know what I'm doing. Hey, yeah. Uh, then, then the Clapton Strat itself, the guitarists. Dude, it's it's a great instrument. I I I almost bought one over Christmas. <clears throat> almost, really. There was a pewter. There was a pewter oh, Clapton no, strap. Don't, don't you? I, <laughs> I know. I thought if I did buy that, you would be so pissed off with me. But no, check this out. It was a pewter Clapton strap. Yeah. But it was a it was the newer production run. So it was a mm-hmm. two thousand and eighteen, two thousand and nineteen. Okay. But with lace sensors. Some, what, somebody which, had retrofitted or they So somebody had retrofitted it, right? So, because they stopped putting lace sensors in the Clapton strats in like 2001, 2002, Spot something on, like that. Yeah, around that time, yeah. And, and moved over to the vintage noiseless um, pickup. So, so, and this was going for £1,600. That's and I was a bargain, like, That's yeah. It. And it looked mint. And I ummed and ahed and I debated it and I had it in my shopping basket and I was like, oh, should I? And I thought, I'll sleep, I'll sleep on it. I'll sleep on it and I'll leave it a couple of days. Forgot about it for a couple of days. Checked it about three or four days later and it had sold and it, and it would at that price. And mint condition 2018 pewter Clapton strap, which someone had retrofitted lovingly with lace sensors yeah. instead of a noiseless pickup. And, and should I add, at the price of pretty much a standard American guitar, you know what I mean? There you go. There you go. <laughs> and, there and you go. Here's something. You spend that 1600 quid on a standard American elite strat or something like that. Five, ten years' time, you'll get a grand for that guitar. Five, ten years' yep. time, the Clapton strat, you'll get your 1600 quid back all day long. And then, and then some. some. And then some. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's a it's a great strat. It's a really great strat. I'm jonesing for one. And the thing is, I keep having to tell myself. I said I would never buy another strat because I know how to assemble one from its component parts, yeah. as you've done so skillfully with your gold one. Because it kind of demystifies the strat a bit for me. But yeah, maybe there's a project there this year just to buy, just to build one myself. Put the TBX stuff in it, the mid boost, yeah. and the tone circuit. Because I, I do love that. And get a. I don't have a maple boarded strat. I've always gone for rosewood, but. But yeah, I'm, I am, and the lace sensor thing, which you've got, you put lace sensors in your gold. Lace sensors in that came from an original lace sensor Clapton Strat that my oh. good friend Colin McDonald sold to me. Not the Strat, right. he, he sold the the lace sensors on on the on the provision that if I ever get rid of them, he he gets first first shout kind of thing. <clears throat> Fair enough, you know. Fair enough. Because um, yeah, he's plays a couple of Clapton Strats. I think he's got. I think he's got a couple. He might have a few, but. Um, he prefers the um, the vintage noiseless ones as well. That, that Does he? Yeah, he prefers he? those to the less. That's sensor. interesting. I, I know Clapton uses the noiseless now, but um, yeah, a lot of uh, reading all the blogs and the posts and stuff again, maybe it's nostalgia and maybe it's kind of indistinguishable marginal mm. gain stuff, but a lot of people hark back to the lace sensors. But I just think uh, I just think they're a vibe, the way they look with the kind I, of, well, can't, can't see the... I think you could give Clapton a cricket bat of an elastic band around it and he'd still sound like, like Clapton. Correct. <laughs> 
anything. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And that is why that but that's why that pewter strap, which is my favourite, like yeah. preferred colour for, for a Clapton strap <clears throat> and the lace sensors. To me, that just looks beautiful. Absolutely stunning. I would love to own one of those. Is there something and about a, ma- a maple boarded strap with pewter yeah. and the lace yeah. sensors that make it somehow look sleeker? It's like a cross between yeah. a Stradivarius and Mercedes and a fighter jet. It's like, do you know what I mean? Isn't it? It's like this, yeah. this, this kind of hybrid thing of incredible yeah. beauty, amazing kind of... Um, possibilities and just just sheer kind of terror at the same time you know it's like yeah. it's like a gun because it is a gun metal color you know it's That's it. it's incredible it's, it's just the yeah the pewter clapton strap relay sensors is the the goat guitar for me i think so man i think so i i, I just love it but then i reconciled <laughs> that clapton would still sound like clapton if you gave him a squire strap and told him to plug <laughs> into a spark amp <laughs> And why was I buying this? Because it looked really cool and I'd just watched 24 Night and uh, was it going to make me sound any more like Clapton than my lovely strats that I've got? No, no. So, yeah, Yeah. I let that one get away quite happily. But, yeah, if if I ever find myself a multimillionaire and just with money being no object, then I'm going to buy 10 of those pewter straps just for the fun of it. There you go. Me too. They're just stunning. And then do what he did with Blackie, find the the best body the one that's got the best electrics the one that's got your favourite neck build it all together and you've got your own grey no it doesn't work (laughs) beauty but that's the thing and that's the other thing that I reminded myself of right was a a strat is a strat is a strat right or fundamentally if you know how to set up a guitar well he's gone through and we've talked about it in this episode he's gone he went from the whole Gibson Marshall thing through to the strat and Fender amp stuff there's the Clapton um, blues concert I watched the other day the one where he's playing all kinds of guitars he plays the 335 like the one that I've got and it's still just you know it's it's not about the guitar you play and, and he's kind of testament to that and particularly a strap mm. Blackie was a Frankenstein right of, of various different straps bolted together mm. uh, as was Brownie I think Brownie was as well yeah. like Gilmore's Gilmore's strap's a complete Frankenstein as Stevie Ray's strap was a was a was a Frankenstein mm. with a different neck and a different body <clears throat> so yeah unfortunately I kind of realised that buying his strat isn't going to make me clapped and, and maybe more practice would so yeah <laughs> hey ho but one day one day we'll treat, treat ourselves one of those you never know <laughs> Right, dude. Hey. I think I think uh, I think we celebrated Clapton plenty. I gotta say, actually, for for everything I love about Clapton, uh, um, there may be some people listening going, "How are you talking about that guy when he's said so much nonsense over the years?" Yeah, I don't condone anything that he's said over the years, and I think he said a lot of stupid stuff over the years. But from a musical point of view, performance point of view, as his importance as a musician and an artist and a contributor to to art in general, you know, I think. It's well worth this celebration, you know, and this discussion. It's up there. It's up there. Well said, dude. Yeah. Well, mate, it's been so good chatting to you because we've not spoken to you. It must be about six weeks, something like that, since we last had a conversation. We've been able to stick into a podcast. It's been too long, long. but, you know, it's really good to see you, mate, and uh, look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Yeah, look forward to more great shows this year with you, buddy. And uh, have a a great weekend. Yeah, you too, mate. I'll speak to you later. Ta-da. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, then why not give the rest of our shows a good listen to? And if you like our podcast, are a regular listener and want to show support to the show even more, then consider buying us a coffee over on our Buy Me A Coffee page. Anyway, see you next time on the Guitar Smarts Podcast. Thank you.